Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. And so last week we started in, our, in looking at the church to think about what the definition of the church actually is. What, what makes church, church? What is the, the essence of church, if you like? So if you stripped everything away, everything else from the church, and you were left just with that, you would still have um, a church. What's the defining mark of church? And we uh, started last week by looking at Genesis um, and looking at the, the creation that God makes. He made a uh, man and woman. He made them to be in relationship with himself and with each other. Um, and we saw in Genesis that beautiful picture of uh, mankind in relationship with God, uh, God in relationship with mankind, and mankind in relationship uh, with each other. It was a beautiful uh, picture of fellowship and of, uh, of community between uh, those parties. Uh, we saw also, though, that that uh, initial plan and purpose was destroyed um, as man decided to distrust and doubt and disobey God um, and turned away from the relationship which he had destroyed. And that destroyed not only the relationship with God, but also uh, with each other. And as we went on, you saw, uh, you started in Genesis right at the beginning and moved through. Uh, you get to Abraham and you see that God uh, was determined still to have a people who would gather to himself in fellowship. Uh, we would see him determining to gather a people who would know his blessing and know the fellowship of being with him and with others. And so to some extent that was fulfilled in Israel, particularly as they gathered to Mount Sinai. Do you remember God brought them out of Egypt? He saved them from slavery and gathered them to Mount Sinai where they heard God speak to them and their relationship was restored. We also saw though that the restoration didn't last. The people again decided to doubt and disobey and distrust God. And so they were exiled, they were scattered um, through the nations and yet we kind of finished last week by saying by seeing that God promised that one day again he would again gather that people to himself he would draw them back again into fellowship with himself and it's spoken of in magnificent terms this gathering of all people uh, to God where they would be in fellowship with each other again And although some people at the end of the the Old Testament were drawing back to the land, it certainly was nothing compared to the promises which God had made for that coming back. They're not restored in the way that they should be. And it's into that situation that we saw the Lord Jesus stepped. He came and he he gathered a people and the the promises of the Old Testament started to find fruition as Jesus Christ gathered those uh, disciples and the the crowds at that time and finds its ultimate fulfilment now that he has uh, died and uh, been risen to life again and sits now at God's right hand. And so we we came up with the the definition which is on your handout uh, last week. Um, I say we came up with it, other people have come up with it but I think it's quite good and so I've just borrowed it. Uh, The church is the gathering of God's people in order to meet the Lord Jesus in his word by the power of his Holy Spirit and in fellowship with one another. Now in the Old Testament the people gathered to meet God and to listen to him. Uh, Now the focus is still on the gathering with God but focused on God the Son and the power of the Spirit. And it's still to hear God now through his word. 
So the church is the gathering of God's people in order to meet the Lord Jesus in his word by the power of his Holy Spirit and in fellowship with one another. And just to remind you, we started making a couple of observations which are useful to keep in your mind. We saw that church has nothing to do with buildings. The church building is unimportant. It's a rain shelter and a snow and a wind shelter for us. The church is not defined by the building that it meets in. Similarly, the church we saw was not about an institution. So denominations such as the Church of England is not the gathering of God's people. As useful as that may be. Also, the church is not just a club for Christians. It's not because we are Christians we like to do Christian things. So we come to church in the same way that you like playing football and so join the football club. And you see, the church is where God saves people to be. It's not on the periphery of who we are. You see, the church was, as we've seen, is far more about the people of God together, meeting together. About meeting together to get to know God better, to be in relationship with Him and with each other. And it's not on the periphery of what God's doing. Right at the heart and centre of God's plan and purposes for the world is the church. It's not a sideshow or supporting act. It's the main thing that God is doing. Well, that's where we got to at the end of last week. But there were still a couple of unanswered questions. There were lots of unanswered questions. Some of you asked last week, how many people do you need to gather for it to be a church? What do we do when we come to church? What happens when you people gather together? What happens in the group? What does it look like? Why do we still have denominations and structures if that's not what church is about? So is the Church of England a good thing or a bad thing? All those kind of things are unanswered questions. Hopefully we'll come to those um, over the coming weeks. But this morning, the question I wanted to think about was this. How is it that we are included in God's gathering? In the last week, we spent a lot of time looking at the Old Testament, where the Jews are being addressed primarily, where the promises are made to the Jewish nations, to Israels, to Israelites. And so how... Is it that we are gathered? Because I take it that most of us, if not everybody here, um, are Gentiles, that is, they're not Jews. How is it that we who are Gentiles can be gathered into God's community, God's family, God's gathering? And that's the the question that we're wanting to try and uh, look at today. And we're going to do that by looking um, at Ephesians chapter 2. Um, You're going to look at the first section in groups and then uh, we'll come back together and look at the second section all together. So if you want to be turning up uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and then Carrie is going to come um, and read the first 10 verses for us. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 11. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Brilliant. Um, I'm going to read starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Great, thank you uh, very much, Carrie. Um, in this uh, next section in Ephesians, hopefully you, you'll see the same thing as you saw in verses 1 to 10, that there's uh, a once you were, but now you are kind of structure. You, you, you see it, um, as you saw before, you were dead in your transgressions, but God made us alive with Christ. Uh, that's what you were like, but now you're like this. And the same thing is going to happen. In, in this section, verse 11, remember that, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. Again, it's what you were, uh, and then coming on to what you are now. And Paul is speaking in, in this section here primarily to his Gentile readers. Now, when you say Gentiles, what I mean is anybody who is not a Jew. Uh, anybody who is not a Jew is considered a Gentile in, in the Bible's understanding. Now I guess that will be everybody here, or if not everybody, nearly everybody, that we are Gentiles. And so what Paul says here is true of us. And so as you are sitting here this morning, remember that formerly you were Gentiles. And Paul says a number of things then about uh, the Gentiles and their relationships with the Jews um, and also with God. And this is what I've outlined on your sheet um, and that we'll kind of hopefully try and fill that in as you, as you go. You see that kind of triangle. Um, and I've taken the, the pictures, uh, the diagrams out of this book. And so if you want to see some more um, of that, uh, buy this 
uh, book. Uh, but hopefully they'll come up on the screen and you'll see how it kind of fits together. You see what, what is said about the Gentiles. Firstly, they are called the uncircumcised, uh, verse 11. You see, you are, they are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now, the, the, the significance is in what circumcision uh, signified, what it symbolised. It was a sign given to Abraham, which was to be a sign of the covenant. It was to remind them that they were the covenant people of God. A sign that one day God would bring the Christ and he would be the blessing which would come to all people. A sign that they would be gathered to God. Uh, The Gentiles didn't have that sign. They didn't have the promise of God. Uh, Secondly, Paul says, uh, they were separate from Christ. Again, remember, the Christ was the one who was going to bring the blessing of God to people again. After people had rejected God, uh, the Christ was the one who would bring the blessing of God, uh, who would gather God's people again. But the Gentiles had no part of that. Uh, they were excluded from the Christ. It, it, Paul goes on to say that they were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You see, God was going to uh, gather his people Israel, and the Jews, uh, the Gentiles, sorry, were excluded from that. God was going to dwell with Israel. He was going to be their God. And and they would be his people. And in that relationship restored, there was going to be great blessings. The Gentiles, though, are excluded from that. They, They are apart from Israel. And so Paul says there is a great wall between Jew and Gentile. Um, In a moment we'll see it's removed. But the the Jews and the Gentiles are excluded from each other. They are separate. They had no part in the promises that God made. And indeed, Israel had to keep themselves separate from the Gentiles. And more than that, as you see Paul goes on, he says they were excluded from the promises of the covenant. They were separate from the promise which might bring about peace with God. They have nothing. They are completely separate from that. And so Paul concludes, he says... That they were without hope and without God in the world. You see, all that goes before leads to this conclusion that they are without hope and without God in the world. Indeed, everything about them means that they are cut off from God. Uh, They've got no way of having a relationship with God. Can you see the terrible predicament that the Gentiles were in? A hopeless despair. Uh, no hope of having any relationship with God, particularly as, we've, as you've just seen in verses 1 to 10. Everyone is dead in their transgressions and sin. And there is no mechanism for the Gentiles to be blessed by God again. The Jews, on the other hand, had a connection with God. Now, they had the hope of the covenant, the promises that God made, uh, the hope of the promises which God made with them throughout the, the, the Old Testament. Uh, so they had the promise, they had the hope, They had God, and yet the Gentiles, us here, were separate from that. We had no hope. It's a terrible position to be in, and one in which looked to have no escape. And see that you are the Gentile. That's that's the position we're in. Before you came to Christ, that's the situation that you're in. And if you're not a Christian here today, can I gently say that that's the Bible diagnosis of your position? 
It's where you are excluded from God. Dead in your your trespasses and sins. But as we saw in the the first ten verses, there's also a change now. Formerly you were like that, in that terrible predicament. But verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. But now, Christ has brought us near. We've been given a relationship with God. Because of his death on the cross, Christ has brought us back to God. It's quite remarkable. From having no hope, now we have hope of being in relationship with God again because of the death of Christ for us. So we could illustrate it on the, on the next diagram like this. There is now a relationship between Gentiles and God. They have that connection that the Jews had before because of Christ. But that's not all Paul wants to show in these verses. Now the, the verses from verse 14 on, they're a little bit kind of difficult, but hopefully as we go through we'll see what they mean as they describe what else happens because of Christ. You see verse 14, Christ is described as our peace, for he himself is our peace. A very significant word. He is the peace of God. He brings peace from God. He makes peace with us and God so that we can have peace with God but look how he goes on and he has made the two one and destroyed the divide, destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility do you remember everything that separated the, the Jew from the Gentile Christ has abolished it all it's done away with it's gone and so now the Jews and the Gentiles can now relate Because of what Christ has done. And Paul goes on then to explain how that's happened. He says in verse 15 that Christ has abolished in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Now that's a little bit, I think, a a tricky kind of concept. What does he mean there? What does it mean that Christ has abolished the law with his commandments and regulations? Well, if you remember in the Old Testament, what we saw last week, that God gathered the Israelites to himself at Mount Sinai, the place where where he was uh, to meet with them. And there God spoke to the Israelites. Uh, The relationship was established. And that was the basis of the relationship, that speaking. And what God spoke was, he spoke the Ten Commandments to the people. He gave them his law. And then there's other things that go alongside the Ten Commandments, the law, a system by which the Israelites were to live in relationship with each other and with God. It defined their relationship. And it was by obeying that law that they did actually remain in relationship with God. The other side of the law was it marked the Israelites out as distinct. They were to be a holy nation. They were meant to be distinct from the other nations around. The other nations were not like them, so the Israelites looked different because they were God's people. Do you know, you you can kind of get the idea, can't you? We know there's certain groups, aren't they, who you can kind of mark out because of what they look like and how they act and how they speak. And so I was thinking this week of the Amish in North America. 
Uh, do you know, you, you, you could tell if you went to North America, I don't, know where, I don't know where about in North America they actually live, but in their kind of, pardon? The Midwest. Do you know, you would see the Amish and you would be able to recognise them by the way that they lived and the way that they keep themselves separate and distinct. Well, that's kind of what happened with Israel. It, the law kept them separate from everyone else. And it was by doing that that they maintained their relationship with God. Yet through Christ and his obedience to the law, he has destroyed that law. So now they don't need to keep themselves separate. Now they can come together as one because of what Christ has done. He's opened the way for us to have the two brought together. And and look what Paul says the purpose was of that. Verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And Paul goes on, though, and he says something which is quite significant and surprising. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near Can you see why that's surprising? Paul is saying that the cross abolishes the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. But it also brings them both to God. Both Jew and Gentile are brought to God through the cross. Christ came and preached peace to those who were far away, the Gentiles. But also to those who were near, the Jews. Christ preaches both to Jew and Gentile peace because of his cross. You see, why did, he, why did he die for the Jews if they already had that relationship with God? Well, the testimony of the Old Testament shows that actually, although the, the law opened the possibility of these the Jews having relationship with God, time and again they disobeyed God. They demonstrate that they could not keep God's standard. They couldn't remain in the relationship. And so the very thing which was meant to provide a way for them to have relationship with God alienated them from God. It showed them as having a need for mercy in the same way as we did. You see, so the cross brings peace to the Jew as well as the gentle. And that's how they relate to God. It's the cross which establishes all the relationships. And yet there's more that we, can, that we could be able to say here. And let's modify our diagram to show exactly what Paul is at pains to say. You see, Paul says that Christ came and made one new man out of the two. And so what you actually have is, is this on the screen. You have Christians who relate to God. Now the arrow is meant to go both ways on your sheet. I don't think it actually does on your sheet. But you see, it's Christians together now who are the people of God, who are the church. You don't have Jew and Gentile, you just have Christians in the church together. You see, Paul goes on to say, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. What was separate is brought together into one, together members of God's household. We are fellow citizens with God. And this is a church which is growing and developing, as you see as Paul goes on. Now, before we um, 
come to look at a couple of implications for that. Let me just draw a couple of threads together, make a couple of things really clear. And they were up to um, how it happened in your notes. And I've got two um, headings there, uh, Christology and Pneumatology. Um, so first, Christology. Now, the reason I've used both these words is the things that you might come across uh, in Christian books if you read. Uh, Christology, it means about Christ. Now, when you understand what stuff about Christ, you could gather it together under the heading of Christology. And what we see when we look at these verses, when we look at this chapter in chapter 2, is we see that we are saved and gathered together into this new humanity because of Christ. In the section you looked at in your group, did you see that we, it was because of Christ that you are saved? You were made alive with him. You have been raised with him. You are seated now in him. In these verses which we're looking at just now from verses 11 onwards. You see what verse 13 says? But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In verse 16 it is through the cross. The gathering which brings us together as one humanity, which brings us to God, is all through Christ and his cross, what he has done for us. You see, and we look back to that event, it's the event which we, which we look to. Now we could layer up different verses through the New Testament, but hopefully you can see that without Christ and his death, these two couldn't become one. The two groups couldn't become in relationship with each other and then in relationship with God. They would still be separate. They would be without hope. Without Christ's cross, we're not saved. But there's even more to it than that. Because not only do we look back to what Christ did on the cross, but we are said to receive the benefits of Christ now through our union with him, through being connected to him. And you see it when you look at verses 1 to, 1 to 10, did you not? You've been made alive with Christ. As Christ has been made alive, you've been made alive with him. As Christ has been raised, you've been raised. As Christ has been seated at the right hand of God, you've been seated in the heavens with him. It happens as we are united to him, through our union with him. I don't know if you remember on, on House Party, Ed Lowen explained that, what that kind of concept looked like. Remember he said, if you imagine this bookmark, well, it's a bit of paper, but you can imagine it's a, a nice uh, bookmark, um, Imagine the bookmark. When I put the bookmark into my Bible and close my Bible on it, wherever I now take this Bible with me, that bookmark goes as well. In the same way now, whatever, if when we are in Christ, when we are connected to him, wherever Christ goes, we go with him. Whatever Christ achieves, we are said to achieve it as well. Because we are in him. And so that's why we are raised to life, even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It's why we are said to be seated with Christ in heaven, because that's where he is. We receive all the benefits of salvation in Christ Jesus. And it's why then we say that the church is God's gathering in order to meet the Lord Jesus. Because we have all the benefits through what Christ has done for us. 
But as we look at these verses, and if you look further in the New Testament, we see that this uniting comes because of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And that's my second point, pneumatology. So again, if you're reading Christian books, you might come across that term. And that's why I've written it down, just because it helps you as you come to those things, to understand what's been written about. And pneumatology just means things to do with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Now you'll see this in other places in the Bible, but even here in this, these verses, we see the Spirit's work. You see in verse 18, For through Him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You see, the work of the Spirit is really important. The Spirit applies the truths of Christ to our hearts. In chapter 1, we see that Christians have the Spirit as a guarantee of what Christ has done. In verse 22, that we are told that we are uh, becoming a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You see, so in some ways we could say everything that Christ has done comes to us as the Spirit unites us to Him. As He draws, as the Spirit draws us to Christ. Now these two concepts of Christology and pneumatology, what Christ has done, the Spirit's done, is really important. Because without that, then the church is defined by something which is away from God. And yet what we want to try and do is say that the definition of church is rooted in the definition of who God is as Father, Son and Spirit. It's why in our definition we are saying that we are gathered to Christ in the power of the Spirit. Okay, well let me uh, outline a couple of implications and you can discuss these more um, in your groups. And here's the, here's the first implication for what, of what we see here. Be amazed. And be amazed at what we have just seen in these passages. And the work of God in saving for himself for people is staggering. And the way in which God has gathered us around the Lord Jesus by his spirit and fellowship with each other is staggering, is amazing. The way in which God is then remaking a broken world is staggering because he's doing it through his church. That's what Paul will go on to say in chapter 3 when he will say, in the church the manifold witness of God is being made known. He's saying that angels, the heavenly beings, look at the church and their jaws drop as they see what God has done there. I don't know if you heard in the news this week, did you hear about the... um, uh, the, in New, Newcastle Uni uh, to try and reduce uh, bike crime people kind of nicking bikes they put posters up in the bike uh, shelters they just had big eyes on them um, and so and it made people think they were being watched and it reduced bike crime by about 60% in the city and this made this poster they had on it kind of you're being watched um, but just the fact of the eyes they are looking it made people change their behaviour well, as we gather here this morning, as we gather at church in the evenings, the eyes of the heavenly beings are on what's happening here. And they are just staggered by what they see. As they see God bringing people together, he's saving them so they can have relationship with God and with each other as, as he's remaking the world through that. So be amazed at what happens at church as you gather together and as you look around at the people that God gathers. Be amazed. Well, secondly, the the, the next implication that I want to make, and I think this is the, the big point. See what the gospel does 
to Jew and Gentiles, those who were completely divided, who had a barrier which could not be surmounted, see how in Christ they've been brought together into one. So they're no longer divided, but one. And just see, if that's what happens between Jew and Gentile, then that's what should be expressed here amongst us. There should be unity among Christian people here. And the wonderful thing is, we see that expressed here this morning. You know, it's great to see Chinese brothers and sisters gathering together with us. To united in our faith. We see Nigerians and Japanese. You even see Scottish people gathered here amongst the English. Who would have thought that would have happened? But you see, it's a wonderful expression of what the gospel does. The gospel gathers nations together. And we see that on our doorstep as people from other nations come and join us here. And we are gathered together as one. Now you see it in lots of different ways as well. Do you know people from different backgrounds in this country drawn together? Do you know so people from poorer backgrounds or richer backgrounds brought together in the gospel? People from backgrounds where their parents are very different brought together in the gospel. And the gospel should unite us and we should be striving to maintain the unity which the gospel brings. We should be striving to show that God unity to people around us. If you read on in Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians, in many ways is an explanation of what it looks like to be united together because of what God has done. Look at chapter 4, just across the, the page there, when Paul starts this. He says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you, To live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The calling which we've seen here to be united. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see how the similar kind of language to what we've been seeing here has been used. Maintain the unity. Be humble, be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort. You see, there's a challenge for us, isn't it? Make every effort to be unified in the gospel. And it means not just spending time with the people that we find easy. And I don't know about you, but for myself, I gravitate to people that I get on with easily. Because it's easy, it's comfortable, it's nice. But that's what everybody does. But the gospel says I am united to people in the gospel. And so make every effort to be united with them, to love them, to care for them, to encourage them, to be encouraged by them. And even if it's difficult and a bit more, a bit more challenging at times, stick with it. Week by week, spend time with the people that maybe are not the kind of people that you naturally want to spend time with. And you will find that you can come to love them and care for them and look after them more and more. 
So spend time with people whose English is maybe not so great and it's hard to have a conversation because it takes longer. Spend time looking out for those who've come from other countries and joined us here as Christians. Think about the, the difficulties and the challenges that they may have and encourage them, include them. Invite them to things that you're doing. Love the older members of our congregation. Think how you might serve them and love them and care for them because the gospel has brought us together. Think how you might serve the families in church and love them and care for them and get to know them because the gospel brings us together and unites us. Now there's loads more that I could say about that. But I hope this has maybe started to help you think that the church, right at the heart of it, is bringing people together in God. And so that should be what we're about as we spend time with God's people. That we are gathered because of Christ. Gathered because Christ and the power of his spirit and fellowship with one another has drawn us together. We'll have a, a little bit more of a think in your groups about that now.